It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello, I'm Kate Wenigal. Thanks for joining me on another edition of the Beyond Zero Science and Solutions Show. This show is broadcast via the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Our program is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and the Science and Solutions Show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Anika Molesworth, who has a PhD in Agricultural Science and is a founding director of Farmers for Climate Action. Agriculture, of course, is very important to Australia. Farms comprise 51% of land use in Australia and contribute about 11% of all goods and services exports. However, the sector also contributes about 14% of the national greenhouse gas emissions. So let's find out how farmers are tackling climate change. Hello, Anika. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. Anika, before we talk about climate change, can you tell us a little bit about your farm and what you produce and how farming led you to get interested in climate change? Sure. Uh, So I live on my family sheep station in far western New South Wales. And for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of visiting this area, It's a place of ruby red sands and sapphire blue skies and it's dotted with beautiful ancient mulga trees and river red gums that that are along our ephemeral creeks, which are creeks that flow when we do get rainfall. Uh, We also have saltbush and grass flood out lands and this is where we graze our sheep and also catch the, the rangeland goats. And my family and I have been here for the last 20 years. And it's a beautiful part of the country. I absolutely love it. However, the arid and semi-arid environments of Australia can be quite challenging farming conditions because they are naturally hot and dry bioregions. And as we've been experiencing, it's becoming increasingly hotter and drier. So what does global warming mean for farmers like yourself and others in Australia and what may it entail in the future? Yeah, so climate change is many things. And because Australia has such a diversity in geographies, you know, we have tropical rainforests in far northern Queensland to alpine regions, to the arid zones. And in all these different parts of the country, we can grow food and fibres, different food and fibres. So we have the tropical fruits and Asian vegetables in the far north. And then along this eastern seaboard where there's more of a Mediterranean climate, we have uh, grape growing and grains like wheat and barley. And then down in the south in the cooler region, we also have vineyards, dairy, cattle, poultry farms. So in Australia, we grow a real diversity. So climate change actually means many different things. In some regions, it is becoming hotter and drier very quickly, like in the region where I live. And so we're experiencing more frequent and intense drought conditions. 
other parts of the country are experiencing more intense downpours, rainfall. So they are subject to more frequent flooding events, more intense flooding events. And as we all remember from the past summer, the horrible bushfires that just ripped through so much of the country. And so climate change means these extreme weather events, floods, droughts, bushfires become more frequent and more intense. It is the changing of rainfall patterns and temperatures. And we, we plant and harvest due to the, the cyclical nature of the seasons. Our livestock give birth and grow on the vegetation that is available, which depends on seasonal conditions, the temperatures, how much vegetation is on the ground. And that's obviously dependent on how much rainfall has dropped. So when the, the climate starts changing, that directly impacts our water resources, our vegetation on the ground, pests and disease, prevalence and distribution, you know, animal welfare in heat waves and bushfires and things like this. It also obviously then impacts the people, the people who live and work so closely with the land, the farmers. And obviously these extreme weather events, which are becoming more frequent and more intense, can be extremely stressful times. And so a lot of farmers are not only, you know, becoming stressed about the productivity and the profitability of their farms, but are then, you know, experiencing really serious mental health impacts too. You know, that worry over time, that anxiety builds over time. So it's right across all parts of our society. It's pretty scary, really, isn't it? It is. And it's really, you know, it's scary because of the rate and the scale of the change, you know, how quickly it is happening. To have around three weeks over 40 degrees, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's terribly difficult for a farmer to actually know how to cope with those conditions because we've never had to cope with those conditions before. So what impact do you expect climate change to have on food security or having enough food both globally and in Australia? In Australia, we're incredibly lucky because, as I mentioned, we produce a great diversity of food here and we are able to feed our population very well. In Australia, farmers make up less than 1% of the population, yet we provide, 90, uh, I think, around 93% of the food that is consumed here. So even though there's not many of us, we are actually doing a terrific job of feeding our country. And then we're also exporting food too to feed people in other parts of the world. And that's why I have such great pride in Australian farming, because even though we live in one of the most highly variable climates in the world, we have very scarce water resources, we have very infertile soils here, Aussie farmers manage to do a terrific job. However, many parts of the world do face serious issues with food insecurities. And food security is about the accessibility to food, the availability of food, the affordability of food. It also goes down into the nutritional content of food. So are people able to get the right nutrients to actually nourish their bodies? I have been doing a fair bit of work in Southeast Asia with the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research and in those parts of the world, there are serious food insecurity issues. 
And these very poor farmers, smallholder subsistence farmers with small land sizes, do struggle at times to feed their families and their communities. And because they have very low adaptive capacity to deal with climate change, because they have small land sizes, limited financial resources, limited labor resources, when they are hit by a drought or a flood or a locust outbreak, they very quickly tumble further into hardship, into poverty, and then obviously struggle to actually have enough food to feed themselves. And then you see rural to urban migration, you know, people moving out of these uh, impoverished communities into sometimes already overcrowded city environments. So it's social disturbance, it's the breakdown of, you know, communities. Uh, it has quite wide-ranging disruption. And it's interesting when we look at what happened during the COVID crisis earlier this year, very many businesses folded very, very quickly. So it's actually a testament to farmers that they can continue through bad times. Absolutely. And, you know, farmers... I think are an amazing breed of people in that they are very resilient, hardworking, forward thinking, because every day you get another challenge thrown your way. So regional Australia produces about 40% of Australia's economic output. And this is projected to increase from about $84 billion to $100 billion by 2030. How will this increased output affect the sector's carbon footprint? So we have a, a rapidly growing global population. So nearly every 24 hours, we've got nearly a quarter of a million new mouths to feed. So we obviously have to either produce more food or not waste the food that we're already producing because we, we waste way too much food, which is a real shame. The goal with the Increasing the agricultural sector to a $100 billion industry by 2030 is increasing um, both the quantity of what's being produced, but also the value of what is being produced. And with an ambitious target like this, the main thing I think is that we need to make sure that we, we are creating the best food system. You know, one that is good for both people and the planet. We need to obviously improve the way that we are producing food. And to produce food, you need to look after the foundation of a farm. But we also need to make improvements right across the food chain in the, the distribution, in the processing, in packaging, right to when it actually enters our kitchen. We need to be very respectful of the, the labour, those um, natural resources that went into that food, all that time and energy that went into producing what is on the plate. And something I'm very passionate about is building that, that love and respect for food so people don't just scrape it, you know, the leftovers into the bin at the end of the night. Because a lot of greenhouse gas emissions come from the food waste end of it. And I think something staggering, like one in four supermarket bags of food in, the, in Australia is, is thrown in the bin. Like the, the amount that we waste here is, is horrendous. And if we didn't throw that one in four bag of supermarket produce in the bin, then we wouldn't be asking our farmers 
to produce that extra food. I mentioned at the start that you're one of the co-founders of Farmers for Climate Action. Can you tell us more about Farmers for Climate Action? So about five years ago, a group of around 30 farmers gathered in the Blue Mountains. And we came together because we didn't feel like climate change was being addressed as it needed in the farming community and in the agricultural sector at, at scale as it should be. Because agriculture holds a very important and unique position in the topic of climate change in that we are one of the contributors of climate change. We are a major player in it. We are one of the most vulnerable and exposed industries to the impacts of climate change. And thirdly, we play a very important role in the solutions to tackle climate change. So the farmers who met in the Blue Mountains, from banana growers in far northern Queensland to myself, Arizona sheep and goat farmers, to Gippsland dairy farmers, came together and we had this conversation that we didn't feel like climate change was being tackled with the urgency that was required because we were all feeling the impacts on our businesses, on our homes, on the things that we love and care about, our families, our landscapes. We didn't feel like the rural representatives were actually representing the views of farmers who were facing climate change. And we also felt like we needed greater knowledge, greater scientific knowledge on how to adapt to these changing conditions and to reduce on-farm emissions. So from this initial gathering, we decided to create an, a, a group called Farmers for Climate Action. Now, fast forward five years to where we are now, we have some around 5,000 farming members involved. And we are involved in changing the narrative, making sure that good stories are actually getting into the national media about how farmers are, are dealing with these changing conditions, you know, how they're installing renewable energy projects on their farms, how they're looking into better genetics to reduce methane emissions, how they're improving fertilizer practices to uh, reduce nitrous oxide emissions, and how they're conserving water resources, all these things. We also wanted to change the narrative from farmers being conservative, anti-climate people, because they're not. <laughs> I can look out the window and, you know, see a drought. We wanted to be communicating the true stories from the land, you know, how farmers were feeling the impacts of climate change today and how this is impacting the food we are able to produce for the community. We've also been working very closely with the researchers, with the scientific community, to bring the best available knowledge and expertise to the regions to learn how to adapt to climate change, how to reduce emissions from our businesses, to understand what the projections are for our regions so we can act with, you know, with best informed knowledge and practices moving forward. And we've also been working very closely with different agricultural representative organisations and groups from grains to meat and also with our MPs, with our elected representatives to make sure that there are the best agricultural and climate change strategies in place so we do have a productive and sustainable 
farming future moving forward. So that's how Farmers for Climate Action came to be um, and what we've been working on. And it's been absolutely terrific to see the support, the number of people who have come forward and said, you know, where have you guys been? Like, this is exactly what we need. People on the ground who love the ground, who are working with it every day and wanting to do the very best for it and for the community at large. That's fantastic, isn't it? And it's so good to hear that farmers are embracing it. If you've just tuned in, I'm talking to Anika Molesworth, the founding director of Farmers for Climate Action. One question that's always puzzled me is the carbon content in the soil. And as you say, every place is different. You know, if you go from one paddock to another, there are different carbon soil levels. Do, do farmers actually measure the carbon content in all parts of their farm? And is it expensive to do or how does it work? So... Uh... Measuring carbon can be quite difficult and no, not everyone is doing it. I am not doing it on my family farm. Um, I don't know how to do it, to tell you the truth. There's also different degrees in how well carbon can be captured. So obviously there's a lot of talk about carbon sequestration and building carbon in soils. That's easier said than done in some regions so obviously different soil types have different inherent carbon content and can actually hold and sequester carbon differently also. One thing to note is as conditions become hotter and drier, it becomes more and more difficult to hold and sequester carbon in the soils. So we're really you know, racing against time here in that to actually draw down the carbon from the atmosphere, we need to be doing it sooner rather than later because it becomes increasingly difficult the hotter and drier it becomes. You mentioned that agriculture is particularly vulnerable to a changing climate and the sector is on its way to having the technologies to become carbon neutral whilst maintaining profitability. What sort of technologies are either ready to deploy or being developed which might be used to help us produce food with less impact on the climate. Yes, this is the exciting part. This is where <laughs> I get very excited talking about how do we actually um, yeah, reduce greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector. So there is wonderful work being done in, in so many areas. Let's look at the cropping sector for, for starters. So uh, many crops are grown with... Um, with fertilizers to put nutrients in the soil. Those nutrients are taken up by the plant to produce um, greater quantity and quality of produce, which then we consume. Applying fertilizers at the right rate, at the right time, in the right placement, avoids losses like nitrous oxide losses into the atmosphere, prevents those losses in runoff, things like that. So if we can better uh, use those fertilisers, improve fertiliser use efficiency and reduce the losses that come from using fertilisers, then we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We also need to be looking at alternative fertilisers and organic fertilisers as substitute for synthetic fertilisers because uh, synthetic fertilisers often originate from fossil fuels. But if we can use, for instance poultry manure instead of urea, then that poultry manure can be used to fertilize the soil 
and produce the crops. And again, those organic amendments need to be, farmers need to know how to use them at the right rate, right time, right placement to reduce losses and environmental damage that might come from the use of organic fertilizers also. But for farmers to know that, there needs to be guidelines in place. There needs to be research in place. There needs to be investment into science um, and an encouragement of agricultural science and environmental science. If we look at the livestock sector and reducing emissions from them, so there's a lot of research being done in improving the genetics of ruminants. Now, ruminants are cattle, sheep, goats that have four parts of their stomach and belch methane. And methane is one of the potent greenhouse gases. And this methane is produced from the gut bacteria that are you know, living in the stomach and breaking down the food as the, the cow or the sheep consumes it. Different bacteria populations produce different gases and different amounts of the gases. So again, by researching the gut microbiome, by understanding the, the greenhouse gas emissions from livestock, we can look at, well, what, what breeds are better at reducing greenhouse gas emissions? What age? What do they need to be fed? And once we know this knowledge, it can't just be kept within a university or can't just be published in an academic journal. We need to be getting that knowledge out to the farmers so they actually understand how to use that knowledge how to breed better or feed better. There's also a lot of work with, you know, the soil too. The soil is so important. So the transition from tillage to no-till farming, where you plant directly into uh, crop residues, that's less soil disturbance, less carbon dioxide being released from the soil service. A lot of farms are also planting trees too, and the trees not only increase biodiversity on the farm, they produce you know, shade for the livestock underneath them. The cooler environments often increase the productivity of, those, of that livestock. So there's then you know, that, that uh, increased profitability from those farms too. So it's all these co-benefits. One of the things I also find really exciting is the potential for renewable energies because Australia is the sunniest and one of the windiest continents on earth. And so there is huge potential for renewable energies, solar, wind, to be running our homes, to be powering our schools and businesses. And because farmers have these large expanses of land, they could host solar panels and wind turbines. And they could be, you know, with the right setup, receiving a secondary and stable source of income when they can sell that energy back into the grid. So they're not only producers of food and fiber for our communities, but producers of energy. And I think that's a really exciting place to be. And that helps farmers ride out the rough times. Coming back to your farm and knowing what you know about climate change, and the way our societies will adapt around it. What changes have you made to, and implemented on your own farm? So we run an African breed of sheep, a dorpa, which is very well suited to the arid and semi-arid environments, which we experience out here in far western New South Wales. We've also identified um, a number of rare and threatened species on our farm property. So we've set up conservation reserves. 
So we fenced off parts of our property to prevent grazing, to help ensure the regeneration of those species. We have renewable energies on our homestead roof, the, the solar panels, which are one of the best assets of the house, I reckon. <laughs> but we've also, you know, we also clear out the dams during the drought, the drought during the dry season. So when it does rain, we can capture that rainfall and water the livestock. So that's some of the adaptation methods. But I should note that it's, it is becoming so hot and so dry out here that we have pretty much destocked. In a good season, we would have run a thousand sheep. Today, there's probably about 30 sheep left on our farm. Uh, this is about the fifth year of drought that we're experiencing. During the summer months, it's, it's pretty unbearable how hot it is becoming. We've tried doing tree plantings. We planted about 300 small trees last year, about 30 of them are alive today. Last year, we had 60 mil of rainfall in total. We're still well below our average rainfall this year. So despite the very best efforts that I'm trying to make and my family's trying to make at farm scale, the changes are happening are so big, the magnitude of the changes, that we are struggling to adapt quick enough. We are struggling to know what to do to look after the environment, our animals, our, our family, our community. And, and that's the reality of climate change in that it, it's having real impact on real people today. And yeah, and it breaks my heart to see the damage that is being done on two environments, two landscapes. It is a very heartbreaking story to hear that. I hope this message gets through to a lot of people because it's a very, very important one. Where can people find out more information about this? So I'm, I'm very active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. I also have a website, so www.anikamolesworth.com. I'm also a, a founding director of Farmers for Climate Action. Thanks so much for your time today, Anika. Thank you, Kay, so much for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. This is part of the discussion that I had with Anika, but the full discussion will be on podcast. So make sure you get to hear that, as Anika has a beautiful and sometimes heart-rending way of describing what farmers are going through trying to manage climate change. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded remotely via the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, Please subscribe to help others find the shows. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover your time costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZD website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.